0: From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Morning, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5 with me. And as you're doing so, I'd like you to stand as I read the Word. Would you stand with me? Got a couple key verses for us today. Short verses, but key verses. First comes from Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8, 18. I'm actually going to start at 17 though. It says this, "Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, instead be filled with the Spirit." And let's jump down to chapter 5 verse 21. It says, "Submit to one another, out of reverence for Christ. It's the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we turn our attention to it this morning, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and you would lead us in your way. In the name of Jesus, and everyone said, amen. You may have a seat. we got a new series starting today called Spirit-Filled Relationships, How to Do Relationships God's Way. Now, last year, if you were with us, Uh, We did a series walking through the letter of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the ancient church in Ephesus, one of my favorite things I think we've done. Uh, We used Daryl Johnson's commentary mostly as our guide, and we spent about six months digging into this ancient letter from Paul, and as we drew close to Christmas, we skipped over this portion in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 that dealt with all kinds of relationships, and if you remember, I said, we're going to come back to it, well, we're coming back, and we didn't skip over it because it's hard, although there are hard things in there that are said. There's some difficult things, and we don't want to shy away from, from hard things. Scripture says a lot of hard things, and my experience has taught me that most people have questions about the hardest things in the Scripture. And so we don't want to shy away from them. We just didn't want to do, it, do an injustice by going too quickly through this section. We wanted to take time because actually what the Bible says about relationships is, is crucial for us. It's important. Relationships are the bedrock of everything. In the beginning when God created man, he said it is not good that man is alone. And so he created Eve to come alongside of him. Relationships are the bedrock of the church, right? The church is not a building, although we call it that. And the church is not an individual. The, church, the word church comes from a word called ecclesia and it actually means an assembly of called out people. So we need relationships for that. Relationships are the bedrock of the home, of society, of life. Story goes of Emperor Frederick in the 13th century wanted to know what man's native language was. And so he had infants raised without hearing the sound of a human voice. He told wet nurses and and, and mothers that were raising foster mothers to, to absolute silence. He swore them to absolute silence and said that they could only feed and wash the babies. So these babies, um, from the moment they were born, did not hear the sound of a human voice. And within months, they were all dead. They could not survive. We cannot survive with the clapping and the cooing and the facial gestures and the relationship that happens from the earliest stages of life. We are relational beings. Whether you are extroverted or introverted, whether you're like the, the kind of person that's like, after church, I got to run home and have like the longest nap because I'm just all peopled out. We were designed to coexist with other people. And there's a way in which the church, the people of God, is to be conducting itself in relationship that is revolutionary to the world around us. I don't always see that in the church. But that's the direction of the Scripture. What God is doing through the Holy Spirit in His people is to be revolutionary. My question for us this morning is, are you keeping in step with the Holy Spirit? As the Scriptures say, Paul says in Galatians, keep in step with the Spirit. Because what Jesus did when He came and He taught and He went to the cross and then He sent the Holy Spirit, both indwelling us at conversion and then subsequent fillings radically changes us from the inside out as we pursue Him. And so one of the greatest indicators of, he- of a healthy church is the health of their relationships. And so we're aiming through our discussion over the next couple weeks uh, to shift the nature of how we approach relationships to align with the Scripture and the Holy Spirit. Now, if you are here last week, we introduced our word for the year, Refined. We got a nice little banner there. It's a little dark on the stage, but but just to remind us, for Parkway to be refined, we need to align with what the Spirit says with regards to relationships. And just so you know, when I say relationships, I don't just mean marriages and, and dating relationships. I'm talking about all sorts of relationships, the relationships with one another, friendships, parenting relationships. Let's get out of junior high for a moment, right? Relationships is a word that describes any relating relationship. So, Ephesians chapter 5, I want to give you a little bit of background information, refresh your minds, because I I recognize that when I come up here, I come with a different framework than many of you do. I've been studying and digging in, and maybe you haven't as I have. So, Paul wrote this letter, Ephesians, to this ancient church Ephesus, which is now in modern-day Turkey. And he's writing essentially on what it means to be the church. And if you remember the series, the first half of the book, he he, he kind of explains the gospel and what the gospel accomplished. He talks about how we've been redeemed and adopted into the family of God and how when we were dead in our sins and, and chasing after our fleshly desires, God made us alive in Christ when we believed in Jesus. He goes on to talk about how the gospel destroyed the barrier of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. And in Galatians chapter 3, he says there's no longer two groups. There's one. And then he goes into the second half and he talks about how to live out the gospel and what essentially the gospel effects are. So the first half is the good news. The second half is good advice. And he begins by saying, live a life worthy of the calling you received. He says, put off the old self, which is corrupt, and put on the new self, which is being renewed. And he says, avoid sexual immorality and impurity and all kinds of greed and foolish joking and obscenity. And then he comes to this statement in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And right before that, he says, don't be foolish. Understand the will of God don't get drunk instead be filled with the spirit now in that day people worshiped the greek goddess artemis or as the romans called her diana and worship involved sexual license it involved ritual drunkenness and frenzied behavior so people would quite literally come under the control of artemis by getting drunk and so paul's saying don't Be foolish and do that. Instead, be filled with God's Spirit. People still do that today, though not in the name of Artemis. Same demonic spirit at work, just a different era. So Paul says, don't do this. Instead, understand God's will. Be filled with the Spirit. Why? Because what we seek to fill the emptiness will get a hold of us and drive us. And that's really where we begin our conversation on relationships. Everything that Paul is about to talk about, if you read the rest of the Ephesians chapter 5 and into chapter 6, everything he's going to talk about, about submitting to one another, about husbands and, and wives, about children and parents, fathers to their children, slaves and masters, this whole section on how to treat each other, on how to relate, is predicated on being filled with something that empowers us to do so as the Christ intended, and that's the Holy Spirit of God. Like, if what... Fills me, drives me. If what I seek to fill the emptiness will dictate my behavior, if what I seek to fill the void and ease the pain and keep me going and will master me, if what I nourish my heart and soul with, if what I allow into the lamp of my my body, if what I fill my mind with will dictate my actions, let it be the Holy Spirit of God and not anything else. You were created in such a unique way that what finally satisfies and fills you as the Spirit of God. Quit trying to fill your life with anything less. Too often, Jesus becomes this side dish, and everything else is the main course. And so we seek to fill this longing that we have inside of us that we were designed to be filled by God with, with some momentary pleasures that we think satisfy and help, and they feel good in the moment, Right? But it doesn't last, and it doesn't truly satisfy. That's why we go back to it and back to it and back to it. Satisfaction's never-ending. You were created in a unique way to be finally satisfied by the Spirit of God. And I'm convinced that the majority of Christians do not live filled with the Spirit of God. We think we are, but serving God like doing ministry doesn't fill it, it touches, and it feels good. It feels nice to give and to serve, but it's not the filling that he's talked about. Being a good, righteous individual who avoids indulgences and sinful pleasures and, and whatnot, that doesn't fill. It doesn't, it doesn't fill with the Spirit of God, and you're not filled with the Spirit of God because you have the Spirit of God. There's a there's a work that is done. There's a filling that occurs in the secret place with God through prayer and through devotion. That fills me with Him in such a way that what flows out of me are those things, ministry and abstinence and holiness and all those things. Like when we try to seek those absent of God, then it's just behavior modification. It doesn't work. It doesn't last. But when I find myself meeting with God in His presence in that secret, quiet place, just chasing after Him through prayer and through reading the Word and studying the Word and spiritual habits and practices, I'm filled in such a way that those things flow out of me naturally and in a good way and in a way that doesn't make me feel drained and exhausted and depleted. Because if I try to do those things, if I try to do ministry absence of a filling of God's presence, I get grumpy and I get annoyed and I get frustrated with people, but when I do it with God's presence and I'm filled with God's presence, it's a joy. It's a joy to serve. There's a work that is done, a filling that occurs, and it fills me in such a way that also conducting myself like Christ in my relationships happens appropriately. Now, this filling that Paul talks about I've talked about this a number of times, so this may be redundant for many of you, but I'm going to remind you it's an ongoing, continuous action. What he's saying is this is not a one-time deal. This is actually something that the Lord does as we pursue him. It's in the passive present tense. What that means is it's not something the passive means it's not something we can do. I can't just fill myself with God. It's something God does as I pursue him. But it's in the present tense means there's a continual action on my part to actually pursue him. Right, so there's a work that is accomplished as I pursue Him and He fills me. Right, that's why the Scriptures will say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling as God works in you. Right, there's a me and there's a Him. And so Paul calls us to be filled with the Spirit on an ongoing way, and this is the starting point for relationships. This is the starting point for relating to one another. I can't give to another what what isn't in me to give. I won't serve another selflessly with the love of Christ without the Spirit's power to do so. If I want to honor God and fulfill my role as a person of Jesus in relationships, then I need the Holy Spirit. And this is why many of us struggle with others. Right? We struggle with church people. We're not getting along. We struggle with coworkers and marriages, extended family. Maybe they struggle with you. Maybe you're the one that people are struggling with. But the revolution that Jesus started in the church is through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit that makes us do things and approach things differently. So Paul says, "Be filled with the Spirit. Don't be filled with other things. It's foolishness. Understand God's will. Be filled with Him in such a way, and then he goes on to say this: that we can submit to one another out of reverence for Christ." Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty-one: Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Some translations will put it this way, subject yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, if you have your Bible in front of you on your your device or open a physical Bible, what you'll probably see is that this verse 21, submit yourselves to one another, is a separate section. There's probably a little subtitle there as well. makes it kind of like divided from the previous section. What scholars actually suggest is that doing so actually communicates something that was never intended to be that we separate what Paul is about to say with regards to all these relationships from what he just said, and that's not the case. Submitting to one another is doable as a result of being filled with the Spirit. This is truly what happens. All that he's about to say, some of the stuff we don't like to hear or read about, is doable when we're filled with the Spirit. And then the rest of what he says is really just a description of how that is worked out. Wives and husbands, childrens and parents, fathers in particular, and servants and masters. And this is why this is revolutionary, right? Because of sin and, and darkness and, and demonic forces, relationships have been twisted and manipulated and turned upside down. And so Jesus coming into the world... And saving us from sin, dying on the cross, atoning for our sin, raised from the dead, defeating the power of sin, and then sending His Spirit right sides up those relationships the way God intends it to be. Now in the first century world, all societies had codes of conduct, often called household codes, expectations for various relationships that usually involved three main sets of relationships. The first was the husband and wife, the second was the father and child, and the third was the master to the servant. And in most cases, the husband, father, and master were the same person. Most people, for most people, the the home was also the place of work, right? In that time, people worked and lived under the same space, and many people in the world still do this, so all three sets of these relationships were lived out under one roof. And so in that first century society, the household was really the building block for society. If the household functioned properly, society would function properly. And I would argue that's still the same today. And I believe that's why the family dynamic in the nuclear family has been attacked over the last decades because the enemy knows that if he can get the family, he can get society as a whole. So the issue... In this case, in the Greco-Roman world, first century, is women, children, and servants were more like pawns and possessions, and the husband, master, father was the only one that was truly viewed as human. Jews actually had a a fairly low view of women. They would pray. I read this. that The men would pray in the morning. They would thank God that they were not made a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. And the the Greeks were even worse. The Greeks, in their marriage relationship, there was no companionship and there was no pleasure. Wives were to take care of the home and the children. Not saying that's necessarily wrong, but they would find companionship and pleasure elsewhere. Faithfulness and fidelity was completely non-existent for Greeks, and the Romans were said to be even worse than that. So when the Holy Spirit comes to the people of God and and fills them, the dynamics of those relationships begin to change, and Paul lists out some new household codes for them. Because the way they conduct themselves is different than society. The Spirit comes, He does a a reordering of the heart, and now what is driving the people of God is is the Spirit of God in them and not culture. The unfortunate thing with many of us today as believers is we are driven by culture and not the Word of God. We are byproducts and influenced by culture more than we are the Holy Spirit. And the culture is not the roadmap for a believer in Christ. The world isn't the defining agent on how relationships function as a follower of Jesus. The Word of God is... The Word of God is the defining agent for how things function as followers of Jesus. As as apprentices of our Lord, our allegiances are first and foremost to Christ and to His words. If not, then He's not our Lord and we are liars. He is only Lord as we submit to Him in His rule and reign. And so the Word of God is our authority, and how we live and how we conduct ourselves is outlined in here and through the empowerment of the Spirit. Anything less is less than God's plan for a believer. And so sometimes we need to press the pause button and think a little bit. Is my behavior and my actions and my understanding dictated by the world around me or by what the Word of God says? And this is why the Scriptures will say that we renew our mind... By not conforming to the pattern of this world. So is how I'm conducting myself in relationship aligned with Scripture or the world? And if it's as a follower of Jesus, not anybody else. I'm not condemning or rebuking or whatever. anybody. I got no condemnation. I got no judgment. Just you know. But for the believer, if what I believe about relationships is aligned with culture and the world and not the Scripture, I need to renew my mind. I need to repent. That's what repentance means, the renewal of our mind, to turn the other way. And say, Lord, I'm wrong. You're right. Help me submit to your word here. Because your word is my guiding agent, not culture. And that's what it was for the, the world in the time of the Ephesians. The Holy Spirit comes. He reorders their heart and says, there's a new way to function, and I'm going to tell you how it is. So this idea of submitting and to one another out of reverence for Christ. It was upside down. It was countercultural, and it still is. The idea of submitting and subjecting ourselves to others, the opposite of society. Wives to their husbands. Husbands to their wives. To one another. And it's only as we are filled with God's Spirit. That's why everything's predicated on that. It's only as we are filled with God's Spirit that we find ourselves able to do so. Now, Paul adds this clause to the command, right? He says, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ or the fear of Christ. Now, the fear of the Lord, just so you know, it's not a terror. It's not uh, an afraid of, the word means awe or respect or reverence. The idea is to fear not being near the Lord for what would happen then. Right Jesus actually said it this way. He says, "Do not fear the one who can kill the body and not the soul, but fear the one who can destroy both the body and soul in hell." Right? And so what happens when I'm outside of the will of God? When I'm not walking with the Lord? That's where I fear. But he's talking about a reverence here. And what he will get at is what leads us to submit to one another is our deep respect and reverence for Christ. For who he is, for how he lived, for he is Lord. Why do wives submit to their husbands out of deep respect for Christ? Why do husbands, in turn, submit to their wives out of deep respect and off Lord? Wait a second, Pastor, it doesn't say that, that husbands are supposed to do it. Yes, it does, verse 21. Verse 21, subject yourselves to one another. Submit to one another. Why do fathers not easily anger and exasperate their children out of reverence for Christ? Why do servants and masters, or put it this way, bosses and employees, submit to one another out of deep fear for the Lord? So we submit to each other in light of the kind of Lord that we serve. It's to Him. It's to Him. We're doing it unto him. We do this to others for God. When it comes to how we relate to one another in here, when it comes to how we we relate in the workplace, when it comes to how we relate with family, when it comes to how we relate in, in in our home and in our marriages, I submit, not because of who you are, has nothing to do with you and everything to do with him. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what does it mean? What does it mean to submit? What does it mean to subject? It literally means to stand under. The word means to stand under or to place under in an orderly fashion. It comes from this Greek word meaning hupostesos, staso. I, I can't speak Greek. Let's be real. But that is two words that translate under and stand which is kind of neat because you truly can't understand someone until you come under them. When we're filled with the Spirit, we find ourselves standing under. When we're filled with God, we find ourselves standing under, under the fear of Christ and under one another. So listen, you can't get the rest of what Paul is going to read, and I encourage you to read the rest of chapter 5 and 6. You can't really get the rest of that until you understand verse 21. Like You don't really understand, wives, what it means to submit yourselves to your husbands unless you get verse 21. And husbands, you don't really understand what it means to love your wife like Christ loved the church until you get verse 21. And children, you don't understand what it means to honor your father and mother until you get this. And parents, you don't know what it means to raise your children until you get verse 21. And listen, you don't get verse 21 until you get verse 18. I can... I understand everything that Paul's going to lay out because he calls us to submit to one another in reverence for Christ, and I can do so because I'm being filled with the presence of God. How do I follow Jesus in relationships? How do I follow the way of Christ when it comes to relationships? I'm filled with the Spirit, and filling with the Spirit means that I can subject myself to one another. Wives under their husbands, husbands under their wives, children under their parents, parents under their children. Talk about how that works in a second. Servants under their masters, masters under their servants. Under, not over. Under, not over. Another way of saying this is to yield to the authority of another voluntarily. So spirit-filled believers are called to be continually filled and voluntarily place themselves under the authority of each other. Hmm. Jonathan, you can come. So two of Jesus' disciples come to him with this outrageous request, James and John. And in one gospel, it actually says that their mom comes and asks for them, which is funny. These grown men have to get their mommy to ask. But in another gospel it says that they come to Jesus with this crazy request. They say, "Lord, we want to sit at your right and at your left when you enter your kingdom." Right? They want a throne basically. When you when you enter your kingdom, me and my bro here right and left, right? Now what they don't understand first of all is how Jesus is actually coming into his kingdom. Cuz he's not going to come in as a champion how they think. He's actually going to come in through suffering and through death. Do you want to go to my left and my right on the cross? Probably not. Secondly, it's a little cocky. It's a little presumptuous. Now, the other disciples, they're listening to this, and it says that they were they were angered, and not because of the request, but because of the potential unfair treatment. So we got a whole group of disciples that Jesus has chosen to be the apostles of the church that would be the leaders of the church that are grumbling and complaining a little bit about wanting to be great. And so Jesus says this in verse 25, says but Jesus called them to him and said you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. That's the kingdom of the world. That's the spirit of the culture. That's that's the sinful nature of someone not filled with the spirit over them. We lord it over over others when we're not filled continually with the Spirit. And if you think about your relationship dynamics, anytime that you've got a little bit, I'll, I'll pick on the men, anytime you've got a little bit more stern with your family, really a little bit more irritable, it's probably when you're not walking with the Lord rightly. But when you find yourself walking with the Lord rightly, you're more apt to serve your family. You're more apt to do things differently. So he goes on to say, Jesus says in verse 26, after explaining how the world does it, he says, it shall not be so among you, but who would, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. You know, I love what Darrell Johnson in his commentary said about this. He said, Jesus is not putting down the request to be great, He wants us to be great, but not by going over, it's by coming under. The old self that Paul talks about in Ephesians that is corrupt is exercising authority over someone, lording it over someone. The new self that is submitting to Christ comes under others. The old way without the Holy Spirit is lording over someone. The new way filled with the Spirit is standing under. Be subject to, Paul says, submitting to one another. It's living in submission, coming underneath them by humbly serving. That is the way of Jesus. That is the way of a Spirit-filled believer. Wives to their husbands, husbands to their wives, children to their parents, parents to their children employees and bosses, slaves and masters, each of us to each other. And then Jesus ends this little statement that he made to the disciples by saying this. Verse 28, he says, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I love that. The title son of man comes from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And it was a title given to the ruler of all rulers and the king of all kings. And so Jesus tells us that even the ruler of all rulers does not lord it over, but comes under and lives as a servant. Now don't get me wrong, he sits on the throne now. But the model Jesus left for us was servitude. And this ultimately gets fleshed out as we see in the cross. Jesus gives his life for the lives of each of us. He served us. You know, when the spirit of the ruler of all rulers, of the king of all kings comes into us, a revolution takes place in our heart. A reordering takes place. And we live in mutual submission to one another out of reverence, not for that person, but for Christ. Why can I submit myself to my wife? Why can I submit myself to you? Why can I submit myself to my children at times? It doesn't mean that I let my kids rule the roost, just so you know. It doesn't mean I don't have boundaries and expectations. We do. I'm tasked to raise them. Why do I serve them? Why do I go into the bathroom and my son hasn't flushed the toilet or wiped the seat for the millionth time and I just want to but instead I wipe it and I just flush it out of deep reverence for Christ. Why that little thing that drives me nuts about people all the time, instead of just losing my cool and throwing and getting frustrated, I just help out and I pick it up or do whatever it is anyway, out of deep respect for Christ. Because when he went to the cross, he didn't go, I can't believe these sinners not even saving themselves I have to do this no it says for the joy set before him he went to the cross we all have equal dignity we all have equal value different roles yes men and women have different roles different responsibilities but all of us are before Christ and all in submission to one another out of fear of Christ. So this means that we do to others all sorts of relationships as if to the Lord. So wives to your husbands, the love you want to pour out on Jesus. And husbands to your wives, the love you want to pour out on Jesus. Children to your parents, the love you want to pour out on Jesus. Parents to your children, the love you want you want to pour out on Jesus employees to bosses the love you want to pour out on Jesus bosses to employees the love that you want to pour out on Jesus so as Paul says submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ how? be filled with the spirit because there's some people that's very difficult to do that with